uh, we've been moving through the, um, the Bible this year, and we're moving through the New Testament and the Gospels. And this is our last weekend in the Gospel. We talked uh, a couple weekends ago about what is the Gospel. We talked, looked at John 3 and John 4 and uh, Nicodemus and the woman at the well. And then last weekend we looked at the cross, and this weekend we want to look at the resurrection. Now, there's a lot of, um, I think, confusion. Um, there, if you were to take a survey of the American population, probably the vast majority of them say, I believe that there is such a thing as a spirit world. There is the spiritual dimension to life. There's the physical dimension, but there's also the spiritual dimension. I think most Americans, probably over 80%, you could probably safely say, would hold to that view. Uh, but when you get to the resurrection and you talk about the resurrection of Jesus, I think that some people would, man, I don't know if I, if I would go that far. I don't know if I believe in that. I don't know if I necessarily believe in that kind of a miracle. Uh, so there's a lot of confusion there. What I would like to do this morning is this. I would like to look at the resurrection and really make three important points about the resurrection. And then you can decide where you're at on this whole thing. But I guarantee you that either you or someone you know is struggling with this whole idea of what is the resurrection and what difference does it make to me. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. And I want to begin by reading Mark chapter 15 and starting at verse 42. So um, I'm going to be reading uh, the NASB translation And it's a little more literal, but you'll be able to follow along in most translations, and I don't think you'll see a significant difference. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage, courage, and he went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Now, a couple things here. Number one, Joseph of Arimathea is probably similar to Nicodemus in a sense that he was part of the council, the religious council, the religious leaders, and um, they were well respected. Uh, Nicodemus, as you know, came to Jesus at night. And in another gospel account, uh, not Mark, obviously, it tells that Nicodemus was with Joseph when they went to get the body. So it seems as though what's going on here is that Jesus had an influence on these higher level religious leaders, some of them, and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea came looking for the body of Jesus. Now, let's move on. Pilate wondered if, if uh, Jesus was dead by this time, and he summoned the centurion, he, he questioning him as to whether he was already dead, and ascertaining uh, from uh, this, from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph brought a a linen cloth and took him down, wrapped him in in the linen cloth and laid him in a tomb which he had hewn out of a rock and rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were looking on to see where he was laid. Now that's pretty significant because one of the the theories that people have who reject the, the resurrection say, well the women, here's what happened, Jesus either didn't die or the women went to the wrong tomb. Well, clearly here, they know where the tomb is. They're not going to get lost. They know where it is. But the three things, there's three things I want to, three points I want to make about the resurrection. The first one is this, that the resurrection is historic. According to the scriptures, as we read the scriptures, it's historically accurate. The scriptures are portraying what 
they found, what they saw. They are portraying what they experienced. And so there's two thing areas we want to look at. First, the burial of Jesus. Now, Jesus would have died around mid-afternoon. The Sabbath began at sunset. So Jewish law did not permit uh, work on the Sabbath. So they could not bury the body of Jesus. They could not prepare it for burial in time. They could not bury it either that evening or the, ne- that, that, the next day. So because of this, a few things have to take place. They find a place to store the body. And Joseph stores it in this tomb that's hewn out of a rock, puts a stone against it. Uh, by the way, as you know, on the Resurrection Sunday morning, the women come to the tomb not to see whether Jesus is there or not, but to prepare the body for burial. That's why they went to the tomb in the first place. Um, so Pilate, uh, he wants to make sure that Jesus is really dead. And he brings the centurion, who was a soldier, who was over all the, uh, the crucifixions in, that day, and ultimately said, is he dead? And he says, yes, he's dead. So you have two experts that are basically saying uh, that he's dead, Jesus is dead. The soldiers and Pilate basically confirm that he is dead. And so they release the body, and Joseph puts the, the, uh, Jesus into the tomb, seals the tomb uh, with a large rock boulder, and uh, we know from the gospel accounts, it's inter- interesting too as you read through the accounts, that the disciples had no clue when Jesus... In fact, I was reading through, as you do your reading right now, we're in Mark, the gospel of Mark. And uh, as you're reading through Mark, um, you notice that the disciples didn't understand what he was talking about when he talked about the resurrection. They didn't get it. But the religious leaders did. And they, and, and they said, to, they went to Pilate and they said, we need a guard. We need to have guards around this tomb because what's going to happen, possibly, is the disciples are going to come. They're going to sneak over. They're going to move the stone away. They're going to move the body. And they're going to perpetuate a hoax. And we can't have that. We can't have any kind of a hoax. This thing has to stop. It has to be over today. And so Pilate says, okay, you can have your guards. And he puts the guards there. Now we know the disciples never went to the tomb. They, didn't, they, they had no plans of creating a hoax. They were, they were hiding. They were, you know, behind the scenes. So that really wasn't, a, 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 you know, a concern uh, in, in a sense. So uh, guards are placed at the tomb. Uh, the disciples, uh, so the disciples could not steal the body. And, interestingly enough, the women are witnesses of Jesus was dead and he was placed in the tomb. Now, it's very important to understand that because in, if you go to the gospel or if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says Jesus Christ died for our sins and he was buried. And that phrase, he was buried, well, why do you even bother saying he was buried? Because there was a point where the, the, Jesus had to die. He, there had to be death there. And uh, then it talks, Paul talks about the resurrection. So let's talk about the resurrection. We see that the resurrection Sunday morning, the women run out to, walk out actually, to the to tomb. And they find that the stone has moved away. Mary, in one of the gospel accounts, comes across uh, somebody she presumes to be the gardener. Not the gardener, it actually is Jesus, the risen Lord. And uh, he reveals himself to her. But ultimately, she sees the stone t- moved away. She's troubled by it. She doesn't understand it. They've come to prepare the body. They don't, they don't expect a resurrection. 
And it's very interesting that, they sh- that the, the, the women are the first ones to discover the empty tomb. Because in that day, in that ancient culture, women were marginalized. Their word was not trusted in a court of law. And so uh, for women to come, they were seen as very poor witnesses. Now, why that's significant is, is if you're trying to create a hoax, if you're trying to do a cover-up, who would you go to discover the tomb? Well, you'd have, want to have somebody with a high degree of credibility, a high degree of respect, and these women weren't. And the point is, the reason that the women are the ones that find the empty tomb is because, you want to know why the, the gospel writers said that? Because that's what happened. They're not trying to cover it up. They're telling it like it is. They're not trying to, to make it more credible. Um, if Mark and the Christians were trying to make uh, up these resurrection stories, they wouldn't have the woman, women doing that. Now, when you come to 1 Corinthians 15, there's another thing that goes on. As I said, Paul basically describes the gospel in the first five or six verses. He says, Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And then he appeared to his disciples and then he appeared to, you know, more than 3,000 people. And then he uses this phrase. It's very interesting. He says this. He says, and most of them are still living. What's Paul saying there? He's saying something pretty significant. He's saying, as I'm writing this, as I'm giving this account, most of the people that saw the resurrected Jesus are still alive. In fact, if you come to me, I can point them out. You can have a conversation with them. You can say, what did you see? Well, I saw the resurrected Jesus. <laughs> okay. And so Paul is saying that this, this is something that has happened. It's a historical fact. Um, as you look at the disciples, you watch, it, watch their behavior, their demeanor bef- before the resurrection. And where are they? They're cowering. They're hiding. They're, they're, they're very docile. They're very uh, afraid of everything right? They're denying Jesus. And where are they as you read the first couple chapters of Acts? Peter, Acts chapter 2, he's before everybody preaching the gospel. And he's, they're warned. They say, the, 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 the religious leaders bring Peter and, and the others in. They say, you need to stop preaching. And, and, and they, they slap them around a little bit and put them in, in jail. And they bring them back and say, if you want more of this, keep preaching. And they say, well, you know what? If we're going to have to listen to anybody, we, rather than listening either to men or God, we choose God. And they got it, went out and preached it more. So what happened? Here they became these feeble, weak, um, afraid, timid uh, people. And then after the resurrection, all of a sudden, they become these bold people. And as you look at their lives, what happened? Every one of them was martyred. Every one of them was martyred. Every one of them. Even John, though he wasn't martyred, he was in prison on the Isle of Patmos. And, and, and beyond that, thousands of Christians from that day and, and, and have, have died, have, have been martyred. Nobody dies for a hoax. Nobody dies for a cover-up. They truly believed it. Uh, why would the apostles die for Jesus if they knew that he had not risen from the dead? No one willingly does it. Here's the point I want you to see. The Gospels are giving the facts. They're showing what took place. They're showing the change in people's lives. And, and there's a point where you go, you have to decide whether you believe this or not. Now, if you come to a place and you say, so, okay, uh, you may have given me a little bit of, of some arguments as to why the, the resurrection is historically af- accurate and it makes logical sense in a sense that you could say, well, it makes sense that this, this event took place. If, if, I can, if I can 
say that I will, uh, I will open the door and believe that there are such things as miracles, and there is such thing as a spiritual world, and, and somebody could rise from the dead, and you, you, there's a case for it. At least you have a case for it. But the question is, you may, you may go further and say, all right, so let's just say I do believe in the resurrection of Jesus as a historical fact. So what? So what? Now, what I found is it's real interesting because Scripture tells us that if you, if you understand the resurrection and you believe in it, you have a real hope. Um, I'm going to read you a passage from 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. And what's going on there in that passage is Paul is talking to the early Christians at Thessalonica. And here's what's going on. It's kind of interesting. Um, they thought... And, and it's interesting, the early church really remained around Jerusalem uh, and really didn't leave Jerusalem until uh, there was persecution. And they expected Jesus, you know, they saw him ascend and they were looking up and the angel said, what are you looking for? You know, get to work, you know. And, but, but here's the thing. They expected Jesus to return within days, months, maybe a year, but they didn't expect a long delay. And now what's going on? Jesus hasn't returned yet. And every generation since then has believed that Jesus was going to return in their generation. I think a lot of people believe that Jesus is going to return before we die, you know. But here's the point. They really thought this. And so some of their friends, some of their neighbors, some of the people they cared about, uh, their family members were dying. And they're going, well, what's going on? We thought Jesus was coming back. He's not coming back. And our family members, our friends, people that we love are dying. What's going on? And this is what Paul writes. It's very important. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring with him the believers who have died. So what he's saying here is, is significant. He's saying to the early Christians, don't worry if you have a friend, a neighbor, somebody you care about that dies. That doesn't mean they're... It's over. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're not going to share in the resurrection. There's, there's hope. And that's what he says. He says, uh, he says, I don't want you to be like those who have no hope. So the point is, the resurrection of Jesus brings us real hope. You know, if there's one thing that the human spirit really needs, it's hope. And it's surprising to me how easily and how quickly people reject any possibility of the resurrection of Jesus. They almost act as though they have a better plan, a better exit plan. They, have a, they act as though they have a better hope. Um, you know, for instance, have you ever noticed this about some people? Some people are against everything. Well, I don't like that. Well, I don't like that. Well, you say, well, what do you like? You know, I mean, I respect the person who says, well, I don't really like that, but could we do this? You know, at least what you're doing is you're offering something, right? But, but, but many people are just like, well, I don't like that, and I don't like that, and I don't like that. Okay, so, so my question is, okay, you don't like the resurrection of Jesus. What's your exit plan? What, when you die, what's going to happen? What, what do you think is going to happen? What's your plan? Well, let me give you three of the most common views. And probably every world religion and every belief that's ever been held fall within one of these three categories. I mean, this is it. These are the three exit strategies that mankind from the beginning until today have come up with in some variation of these. Let me, let me go through them very quickly. The first one is naturalism or materialism. And that is 
basically of the, uh, the belief that says there is no spiritual, there is no supernatural. You only have this physical life to live. And this is very popular in our culture today. This view teaches that there's only this physical world. Only what I can sense is what is real. Uh, what I can touch, what I can taste, what I can see. Uh, that is what, what is, is real. Therefore, if you have any talk about eternal life, if you have any talk about a spirit world, if you have any talk about miracles or a resurrection, uh, that is nothing more than wishful thinking from needy people. Maybe you've heard people say that. And essentially, they're, they're, the mantra for this view is something like this. When you die, you're done. When you die, you're done. Now, I don't usually go into hospital rooms and who people who are very, very sick and say, you're just about done here. <laughs> you know, it's just about over. I, I don't usually at funerals say to, say to family members who are grieving, they're done. That's it. It's over. You know, and, and you know, it, it, there's no hope there. That's the point I want you to understand. There is no hope. That there's no hope. It's like, and that's why you have the the mentality that says, "I better get everything I can right here and now because this is it. This is all there is." That is one common view, and it's the physical. That's all there is. On the other side of the continuum is it's you know is the, the essential part of life is spiritual. It's spiritualism or mysticism. The real world is the spirit world. The body is, is really what's holding us back. Our bodies are what holding us back. So if we could just be set free from this physical body, then we will just go into the energy of the universe and we will find our freedom and we will ultimately enjoy, really enjoy life. And uh, the Greeks of Jesus' day held this view that the body was, uh, they called the body the prison cell of the soul. So when you died, your soul was released and was set free. Now, there's variations of this view today. We speak of karma. People talk about, uh, you, you, you sometimes hear people talking about releasing. You, when you die, you release your soul, your spirit, your energy into the universe, and it is caught up in the collective cosmic universe. Uh, there's a couple of common views in the world today uh, that are held by people. And, and by the way, this is a very, very common view held in Eastern religions, uh, and, you know, it, it's very, there's a, a large population of people on the earth hold to the, this, this view. And, and it's, it's like this. Transmigration basically says that you go into this pool, uh, it, and there's various forms of it, and I, I don't have time to go into it, I, but I do want to respect it, but I do want to uh, acknowledge it is that you go into this pool of life, this pool of energy, and you're renewed into another form of life, and whatever that may be. We in America have really Americanized it, and we have come up with um, not transmigration, but reincarnation. We always, we be, I, I think it's our American culture that we, we can't see ourselves migrating into another form of lower life, like a a tree or an animal or a, a... So we say, no, I was a person in a former life. I was a queen or I was a king and, and, and stuff. And, and I've often wanted to ask people, and I don't mean to be disrespectful of people to hold to, to, to this view, but I do want it. I have wondered why they're always a king or a queen, like in former lives. And if you have the karma thing going on, then it seems to me like if you're not a king or a queen today then you must have done something wrong because, you know, you either go up or down. And, and 
All that to say is that's a view that is very widely held in our world today. But here's the, here's the thing that I struggle with with both those views. So, so that view is when you die, you rebirth into another life form, a new life form. But here's the thing. The first view and the second view, any memory you have, any relationship you have, any thoughts you have are gone, erased. You know, if you hold to naturalism, they're just, they're dead. <laughs> they were the, the process of the brain cells and that's it. No memories, no nothing. If you go into the pool of life, you go into the pool of life and you become a new life form. Can I give you the Christian view? The Christian view is, something, is this. The body and the spirit will be resurrected, united, and remade. The resurrection is the joining of the body, the soul, the spirit into a new person. And there will be hugging in heaven. Hugging in heaven. You Notice that Jesus, when he was raised from the dead... He said, look at my hands, look at my side. And if you read the first epistle of John, the first chapter, he talks about Jesus who we saw and we grasp with our hands. What's John saying? He wasn't a spirit, he wasn't a ghost, he wasn't a phantom, he was a real flesh and blood Jesus. He resurrected with a real body. And so... Um, we need, we, and, and here's the other part, we will know each other in heaven. We will, we will, uh, we will be able to hug each other. Uh, we will live with our loved ones forever in a perfect place made and occupied by God. And he will make all things new and uh, he will set all things right. The Bible teaches that when you die uh, and, and when you are resurrected, that you have new life and you, essentially you will really begin to live. But it won't be as a spirit alone. It will be a soul spirit, a soul spirit body. And, and, and that's really important because, and, and here's the thing I want you to see in all of this. You may say, well, I, maybe I believe in a historical resurrection, who, so, so, so what difference does it make? Well, here's the difference that it makes. If you believe in materialism and that's your view, then when you die, I mean, this is it. This is all you got. If you live to be 60, 70 years old, that's it. If you... If you live, uh, if you hold the second view and you say, well, I'll be released into a spirit, uh, into the cosmic uh, energy of the universe, and then I'll be migrated or transmigrated or uh, somehow reincarnated into another form of life, you will basically start over and will remember nothing. And if you hold to Christianity, biblical Christianity, it will, you will become a new person. You'll have a new body. You will remember people. You remember your, you remember your friends and your family members. And I'll tell you what. Paul says, don't be like those who have no hope. That's a hope, folks. That's a real hope. It, it's holding your head up, knowing that the world may be going to hell, but you're not. And knowing that there's life. And knowing that, that is really so important. And here's another thing I want to say to you. And this is really important here. We can't really say how we're going to leave this world. You know, it, some of you maybe, I, I know we had a lady here at Hope that uh, she sat down to have lunch with her, her husband and she was an elderly woman. She took a bite of a, of a sandwich and she dropped dead. That was it. And I said to the husband, I said, how marvelous is that and here you are sitting together she just had lunch with you and left and went to heaven 
And, and, and that is such a powerful thing. Some folks, though, and maybe you have family members or friends that have suffered with cancer. They're just in a terrible amount of suffering right now. And you know what? The Bible doesn't promise us a peaceful exit from this life into the next. But it does promise a safe landing in the next life. It doesn't say that leaving will be... I mean, look at the criminal on the cross. <laughs> Being executed, Jesus, today you'll be with me in paradise. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But the point is, which one brings hope? Which one brings hope? Here's the third thing I want to uh, mention, and it's the last thing. The resurrection must be embraced. Uh, the passage I want to look at is uh, John 11, and Mary and Martha are good friends of Jesus, and their brother Lazarus, who is a good friend of Jesus, dies. And they say, Jesus, come. He's sick, he's sick, he's sick. And Jesus didn't come, and finally he died, and Jesus says, okay, now we can go see him. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you go and heal him? But he wanted Lazarus to die because he wanted to show who he was. So Lazarus is, is dead. He's in the tomb. And uh, Martha comes out and she basically says, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. And, and I want to read, pick up that passage because Jesus is something that's pretty significant. John chapter 11. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now that's an incredible phrase, that last phrase. Let me read it to you one more time. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, this is an amazing statement because we know Mary and Martha died. We know that Lazarus died again. I mean, he died twice. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's not bad enough that I have to die once. Now I have to die twice. But he died. And, and so, so, he, so what is Jesus saying there? He is saying simply this, that death for the believer is stepping from this life into the next. You will not even know that it even took place. When you take your last breath here on earth, you will be in the presence of God. It's like when Paul says to die is gain. When David said in Psalm 23, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's what Jesus meant when he promised the dying thief. Today you will be with me in paradise. And we'll think about that. Here's the thief. He's suffering. He expires. And the next minute he's with Jesus in paradise. I mean, immediately, they, boom, there it is. And you won't even, you won't even, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a twinkle of an eye. It's a moment. It's just so quickly it takes place. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to Martha, the resurrection is not a future possibility. It's a present reality. Jesus is saying that when you embrace him by faith, you are sharing in his resurrection now. When you die, you don't die, you live. You immediately go to be with him. Now, here's the point you have to understand. It's not enough to believe in the resurrection as a historical fact. You have to appropriate the resurrection to your life. You have to say, I want that resurrection to be mine. We are all born with a death sentence. We are all guilty as charged. We are all sentenced to death. The Bible says the soul that sins will surely die. And Jesus served an infinite sentence for us. Jesus came to earth to pay our penalty to take our death sentence. To give his life for ours. His resurrection is proof that his sacrifice for our sins was accepted. The resurrection of Jesus was God's way of saying, paid in full. 
Now, what does it mean to share in his resurrection now? Well, let me give you a quick illustration. We'll close with this. Last, uh, yesterday afternoon, we had a wedding here. And uh, two people who were not married, the first, uh, the, the groom and I stood up front, and uh, he was not married. And the bride came down, and she was not married. And they came before, and they stood before each other, right up here on stage. And they looked at each other, and they made vows. They made promises to one another. And uh, they said, I said, will you? And he says, I will. And he's, I said, will you? And she said, I will. And I said, well, because you both will, you are. And, and now they're married, you know. And just like that, they walked in. And within a, in a three or four minute period, all of a sudden, now they're married. And I don't say, now I make you, you know, you are married. No, it's saying, now uh, I, I, I um, acknowledge you are man and wife. I pronounce you are man and wife. Right? And what do they do? They made a commitment to one another. And so what I want to say to you is you want to share in the resurrection. So they weren't married. They walked in. They weren't married. They walked out and they were married. And they made a commitment to one another. They said, you know, we're going to stick with each other if life goes well or not. If I'm healthy or if I'm not. If I'm rich or not. You know, and, and, and they don't know what they're getting themselves into. I mean, how many of you when you got married say, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And now here you are. You know kind of more of what you got yourself into. And you say, wow, this is really more than I thought you know well that's what it's like because what you do is you begin a journey with jesus and here's what here's how it begins here's how it begins here's how you share in his resurrection jesus hangs on the cross and he says i love you this much i give myself to you and you hopefully you say as you gave yourself to me i give myself to you have you ever done that have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life and to be your Savior? You see, the Bible says that when you call upon Jesus, when you ask Jesus to come into your life, when you say, Jesus, I'm lost, I'm a sinner, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless, I'm under a death penalty, and I can't pay, and you paid it for me, I don't know how that all works out, and I don't know where this journey is going to go, but I know I want to go on this journey with you, because I know this journey with you doesn't just take place in this life, but it takes place forever in heaven. And I know that when I leave this life and I go into the next life, it will be like a moment. And I share in your resurrection as I share in your as I'm sharing in your death and, and, and your death is for me. Now I will share in your resurrection. And I want to do that. Have you done that? Have you done? Have you called upon the Lord? The Bible says whoever calls on the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that you can live with that resurrection hope today. You don't have to look forward to it. it it's going to take place. You go, if you go out and get hit by a car, you're going to be immediately in the, where am I? Jesus is going to say, you're with me in heaven. <laughs> okay. It's okay. You know, I mean, that's essentially kind of what it's going to be like. That's the hope that we have. That's why the resurrection is so important. And that's why if you're holding out for a better offer, if you're holding out for a better exit strategy, tell me what it is because I don't know what it is. Those are the options. You live, you die, you're done. You live, you die, you try it again. And I'm not making, trying to make light of it. Or Christianity that says you live, you die, and then you really live. That's our hope. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Help us, Father, to walk and live in this hope. If there's someone here, Father, that's never trusted Jesus, may today be the day that they call upon Jesus. They say, Jesus, as you said you gave yourself to me, for me, on the cross. I give myself to you. I want to begin a journey with you. I need you as my Savior. 
And I don't know what that entails, but I ask you to come into my life and to take over. And Father, for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, we pray that you would help direct our lives and direct our steps, that as we journey, go on this journey, that we would help others who have their heads down, who are discouraged, who have no hope, who don't have an exit strategy, that maybe we can help them uh, understand the wonderful promise and hope of the resurrection. That as Jesus rose too, when we embrace him, when we call out to him, as he rose, so too will we. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.